0: We are live and welcome to the Marketer's Edge podcast. This is our first podcast where we're going to be talking about marketing, sales, business building, advertising, and basically everything that we're doing right now to grow our business. Things that have worked in the past and how we're adapting them to now and the future. And so we're going to be having a lot of amazing guests on the show as well as sharing our own experiences. Um, And with that said, I'll just introduce myself and then I'll turn it over to you, Gary, Uh, My name is Jared Mast and I've been a direct response copywriter, advertiser, marketer, content creator for the last 10 years or so. I've had the opportunity to work behind the scenes in the publishing industry uh, with some very big brands and I've been a part of and created a lot of six and seven figure launches. And now I'm actually getting more into running my own businesses, uh, one in actually the Brazilian market. My wife is from Brazil, so we've been growing a visualization meditation. Uh, business there. So that's a lot of fun. And then actually, I don't know if I told you, Gary, but I just actually I'm in the process of acquiring a travel blog. And so that'll be a fun, unique experience. And I'll be sharing uh, ways that I'm going to be monetizing it, growing it and kind of building it out into a bigger business. So stay tuned for that, because we're going to be giving you a lot of concrete examples of what's working and not working as well. And so with that said, um, I love marketing. I'm a geek about it, and that's actually how I met Gary through a mutual friend and client. And we hit it off, and we would talk, you know, for a long time on the phone and just geek out on this stuff. So we said, let's start a podcast together and just share our knowledge with the world. And uh, with that said, I'll let you introduce your, uh, yourself, Gary, and your background and uh, you know who you are.
1: All right, sure. Well, but first of all, um, Jared mentioned earlier how we're going to talk about the past, uh, you know, w- things we've learned from the past and w- what's being applied here to the present. And I clearly represent the past. Um, I am the retired CEO of uh, really the world's most successful um, and most respected company. Uh, personal development uh, publishing company, Nightingale Conant. I retired in 2014, but I've kept my foot in the door. You know, I love, like Jared, we really share this passion for marketing. It is a playground. It's a fun sandbox to play in. Um, you know, to me, marketing is like it's a, it's a blend of science and art and psychology all rolled into one. And it just, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating arena to, to play in. Um, so I actually started at Nightingale in 1984 as a carpenter. And um, at the time I came to Chicago to, to work for one week. Um, I was a drummer in a band. That was my main gig. And uh, you know, I was a handyman on the side. But while I was in Chicago, a big snowstorm, um, snowed us in and um, I couldn't go to the blues bars. So I asked my brother to put me to work and he was remodeling Nightingale at the, at the time. So while I was working, I asked if I could listen to their best-selling program, and that program was The Psychology of Winning. And, um, you know, with my little uh, cassette recorder that I wore in my hip, I listened to the whole thing, and it, like, flipped a switch in me. It was just so fascinating. I was learning things like um, goal-setting, and self-esteem, and self-image, and uh, time management. It was really, I mean, it just literally kind of changed my perspective, and I got offered a job, and by listening to the products we sold, I literally leveraged that information to um, retire the CEO in 2014, and uh, now I consult on the side. And I still, you know, I it, it took a while for me to land in the marketing department, but it always I was always drawn to it. I always found it fascinating. So marketing to me is just again, it's the best sandbox there is to play in.
0: Yeah, I always think of it like a chess game to me. It's very stimulating. You know, you're always trying to get one step ahead of uh, the competition, trying to figure things out where you're moving the pieces and whatnot. So it's very intellectually stimulating and fun. And it's it, it, it helps when there's dollars behind it too, and you're, you're you're making money that way. Why don't you also tell people, you know, from the time you got there, how big did you grow the company too? Because it's quite quite astounding.
1: Well, when I um, when I When I landed in a key executive role, I um, I really became the COO, the chief operating officer. Um, But I got that role out of marketing. I'd been in marketing quite a few years at that point. And um, it was interesting. We'll talk about this in depth, uh, perhaps in a later podcast. But um, we had been primarily focusing on direct mail. And um, that's how we acquired customers. That's how we upsold customers for the most part. Um, but, but I had my eye on radio because people listen to our products in the car. Audio products is what is what we sold. We sold CDs and we, and people, we knew they listened in their car and we knew that they listened during commute time. So to me, it was like, come on, it's just common sense. Let's advertise on the radio during commute time and see what happens. So, um, um, that's what we did. And we literally doubled the size of the company within three years by doing that, we, by shifting, taking all the funding that we were pumping into direct mail and shifted over to radio. And so these were just 60 second spots uh, on radio. But and it was a lead gen, too. It was like we gave away a, a freebie. Um, you know, call and get this free thing. And the core product was transforming debt into wealth, as a matter of fact. And I actually uh, hired a guy, you know, it was really the, the the best thing I did was come up with the idea, but I hired the guy that knew the radio industry. And he's the one that really took us to, you know, he took it to the top. So teamwork was, you know, very important part of it.
0: Yeah, and so yeah, it's really interesting. So I guess with that said, actually, let's get into kind of what we wanted to talk about today, and that is kind of the the three legs of kind of business building slash marketing, and and kind of if you don't have one of you know these, you can have two. If you don't have it, still going to fall over though, and it's not going to your campaign is not going to work. Your business isn't going to flourish uh, like it should. And exactly. so you know, really the the three, and you know, we both agree on this is you know your offer. Basically, then your list or your targeting—you know, getting in front of the right customers—and then the copy, the copywriting/slash sales process, depending on you know how high-ticket of an item you're going. And you know, it's interesting how you said you shifted everything to radio, and how that you know doubled the business and completely transformed the company because you're probably getting in front of the right you know customers. And so let's start off with, you know, and I think these work hand in hand, two most important, I think, is they're going to be your offer and your list. And also the reason that we're starting with this is because I think both of us can agree that when people come to us for, you know, consulting and advice, I see a lot of people actually not worried about this and they're worried about, you know, do I need to be on TikTok? Do I need to be on Instagram? You know, can you run some YouTube ads for me? and while that can all be great if you don't have these three legs figured out it's going to fail and i've seen that firsthand happen you know i can write copy for two different companies and one crushes it and then the other flops and it's like okay why and then you look at the the three legs and it's kind of like they didn't have it all figured out but they think it's the youtube that's not working or the tiktok that's not working and so before any of that we think it's definitely the most important to get these three figured out so let's start with offer, I guess, um, when you changed the, the the radio ads, did you change the offer at all? Or was it just the list oh, that got better?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, we went and, you know, we, we did continue to do um, mail order to existing customers and back ending, you know, we back ended the new customers we brought in through radio. Um, but so it was really a focus on customer acquisition, the radio shift. Um, and you're exactly right. You know, it might be a good idea to just talk a little bit about what we were doing in mail order, because there's the, that critical alignment that needs to happen between the product or service that you're offering and, and, um, and, and, and publications or lists or activity that people are currently paying for. And that's a key word paying for that are similar to what you're selling. So you really you can't it's it's much more important than just an interest you know you can't go to you know you can't go to some free service that people are yeah i'm interested in you know learning how to play drums or or, or kirk bread or um you know it's really got to be you if you can identify that list of people that are literally paying for the kind of information product or service that you're selling that's really critical so it's alignment of that of that list with the right product and that's really kind of a key area. So, for example, back in the mail order days, we would be targeting uh, publications like Success Magazine. I don't know, even know if you guys, you know, if you know what that is. But there was a lot of uh, magazine publications at, at the time that were Entrepreneur Magazine. You know, other magazine publications that people were paying for to help them. know in their area of interest so that's a that's a good example and that carries over so that carried over into radio because um, we would go after specific talk shows um or news or or news stations that type of thing so it wasn't really um it had to be the talk show had to be uh, oriented towards finance for example Um, that type of thing, because we were selling a product about, um, you know, getting out of debt and literally converting your debt into wealth. So, um, you know, that alignment of product um, and list is really the, and you you hit the nail on the head. That's the first thing to be looking at. You got to look at your universe of, of individuals before you ever launch. Is it big enough? Is it, you know, is it seasonal? There's so many aspects to that, that, that are, uh, important to, um, you know, look into before you launch, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, yeah. And also, let's touch a little bit on on testing, too, because I know we're both big into that as well. You know, and I'm sure your first, you know, launch with, you know, even the, the new radio and stuff, it never goes completely smooth. You know, the first time you're always trying to find that different, you know, avenue of what works and what doesn't work. But I feel like a lot of people don't actually try enough, Things before they give up or they just say it doesn't work and so I know you're you're huge on testing and sometimes it doesn't in today's world it doesn't cost a lot of money to test but most people I I, I talk with they just don't do it and, or they think they're doing it and they're like well I ran one Facebook ad and it's like that's not testing you know and so talk about the importance of that and let's get into one example actually I know uh, this is kind of a fun one about how you tested a different offer I think was it the Coaching program?
1: Oh yeah, uh huh, yeah. So we were we were doing we were selling coaching um, on the back end, uh, you know, to 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 good customers. And when we launched, you know, the model at the time, of course, was was thirty five hundred dollars or four thousand dollars. I mean, now I know it goes up to fifteen and thirty thousand dollars. The the dollar amounts are really high. Um, and we, we had a hard time converting at that real high price. Now I'm not saying it can't be done. I mean, there's models out there that certainly make that work, but for the, for the, the kind of customer we had who was used to coming on at a relatively low price, converting them all the way up to to $3,500, we, f- we found it relatively difficult, particularly given the, the sales people we had on staff. So we started testing price points. We thought, well, what if we were to just l- let's try just selling a single session, you know, and then upsell them. And we tried that. And it did, You know, I mean, we, we had a lot of takers, but um it didn't seem to work so we started expanding it let's raise the price and expand it so we went up to five sessions down to four but after a lot of testing we zeroed in on three sessions um, at 499 and again we weren't getting rich on that but but what we were doing is we were engaging the customer. We gave them three sessions. We found after four sessions, they were more likely to, to not continue. But at three sessions, they really locked on. So we found it was really easy to get them to commit to that $3,500 price point because you know, they'd experienced three of them. And then the coach, the coach that did that had to be trained in sales. And uh, I want to come back to sales in a little in a minute and how important sales is to that. That is a skill that every entrepreneur, every manager, anybody involved in marketing needs to become a, an expert in sales. And I'll explain that in a little bit a little bit later. But but anyway, we, we found that that um, that coach who was was selected that did the three sessions because they had good sales skills and they were able to up, upsell them to the thirty five hundred dollar price point after that. So we really got it up to pretty much four grand um, by tacking on the 400, 500 that we have uh, um, um, you know, collected before. So that was, that was one example. Another really interesting one, and one of the best lessons I learned, and the reason we got into that testing was many years ago, I worked with, Nightingale worked with a, with a gentleman that did infomercials, and um, he convinced us to try a bunch of infomercials with him. And he, he had this long run um, on, on TV This was extremely successful. And he would go in, he set up his own studio. And I remember at the time, Most people were paying a hundred grand to do an infomercial and they, you know, they they hired agencies and there were big productions. And he would go in and he would he set up his own studio would cost him cost us ten thousand dollars a shot. He would shoot ten different infomercials over a period of a of a week and he would test and we would go on TV and test all 10 of them. And they would typically be different products, not so much different offers or variations of the same product. It was always a different product, because you really, that's a market that's big. When you go into infomercials, it's hard to target that market the way you can with mail order, for example. Um, But we found that, that one out of 10 Of those infomercials would work, and you could run that for a couple of years. And so you would, you would far surpass the, you know, you would earn back the money you lost on the other nine that you lost money on because you got that 10. And that, that was one of the greatest lessons I've learned in marketing. And it really ultimately became our strategic plan as a company that we are a company that doesn't assume we know what works. We don't, you know, if we hire an agency, we're going to make them test. Um, Or if we do it in-house, you know, we're going to test. And our our strategic plan was all about test, 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 because you test your way to success. And that's literally what we did as a company. And, uh, you know, that's such a huge and important part of uh, marketing.
0: Yeah, and it's fascinating to see like what will work and what will not work. Because sometimes, you know, you you think you're in one industry and this, this campaign did really well and so you're going to take it to this other industry and sometimes it flops and then sometimes the thing that you thought would never work in a million years works amazing and sometimes you don't know why. And that's another important lesson too is like don't get caught up in you trying to be right, like the numbers tell you everything. But surprisingly, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that I don't know if it's ego or what, but they have this fixation on like, this is my idea and it needs to work. But at at some point, the numbers just don't work. And if you want to be, you know, at least um, profitable in your business, you have to look at the numbers and say, okay, this isn't working, or this is working. And let's keep going, you know, down this path, or we got to change directions. I mean, and something simple too, I mean, just headline changes We in pricing too. I mean, we did. A, we launched a product, uh, what was it, a month ago, I think, and it's a digital download one. And we tested two things. One, price, uh, the $97 versus the $297. And the $297 actually worked much better, um, I think, just because the perceived value then was higher, uh, which is also nice for the uh, profitability of the business. But then we also just did two headline changes too, and conversion went up like 3% just because we we changed the headline because, you know, the first one I don't think was getting, it wasn't hooking people in enough. And I know you've said too, in, in just in mail order, I mean, you've seen 100, 200, 300, 400% lifts just from one headline change. Just I a mean, headline. It's crazy.
1: Just a headline. And when you're talking customer acquisition, that's a big, you know, that's a big number. You know, that's a big number. So yeah, just a, a headline. Well, of course, to me, the headline is everything. Um, if it's an email, it's the subject line, you know, and then it leads into, you know, the, the headline of the, la- of that landing page, but, uh, or the page on the email. So yeah, headlines are, boy, you just got to really think about that and, uh, and test, you know, test headlines. You had an interesting story a while ago, um, uh, like maybe a year ago, or m- maybe it was a little longer that about how you, you were going to try something you tried something you didn't think it was going to be a big deal, but it really, really went through the roof. Do you remember what that was? Well, Some it was, way you did I with
0: GitWise. Yes, it was um Oh, it was it was actually so yeah, so it was um, part of our marketing in um you know on our on our YouTube channel and stuff, and that's how we actually kind of got into the mindset visualization stuff. So it's kind of a personal mm-hmm. development brand, and I remember one time we put out a meditation because at first we yeah, thought website. people really wanted to know. We wanted, they thought they wanted to know the specifics about at the time we were in the health and everything about like what to eat, you know, what to work out, all this kind of stuff. And it just wasn't hitting. And then we did a meditation and we put it on there and it just went crazy. I think even that it's our highest uh, performing video, brings in, you know, thousands of subscribers, you know, every month. And, we found out that people didn't really care necessarily about the specific of like, I need to do this program or that program to lose weight or change my life or you know be better. They wanted to know the mindset of it. And so, yeah, I, I thought I was like, you know, I don't know if this is going to work. We have never really done anything like this. And now those are our number one performing videos. They outperform every other video. People come back to them. They share them. We figured out they're sharing them on WhatsApp. And so we said, oh, this is interesting. You know, they're sharing them with their friends and stuff. So we just really doubled down on that and started doing that a lot more. And then we found the same thing with even Instagram. You know, we grew uh, the page to about two, I think it's about 280,000 people now and, We're about hovering around 30, 35, 40, seeing a little bit of growth, trying all these different kinds of posts. And when we looked at the data, we realized that videos were driving all the growth. And so we said, we're going to cut everything else for a while. Nothing else. We're only going to do video. And we cranked it up to like eight, nine videos a day, which seems some people were like, that's too much. You're going to annoy people, blah, blah, blah. Well, it didn't. And then, you know, within I think four months, we got got up to about 200,000 and then, Another two months after that, we're 260,000. And we've hit a little bit of a plateau. And I think that's part, you know, to some platform changes and whatnot. But yeah, you never know sometimes what's going to work. I, again, thought it was not going to work at all. And so just look at the data. I mean, and it, it'll tell you whether something's working or not. And sometimes, yeah, that's when you double down on it. Like when you went to radio, you see these explosive growth. So once you figure out that channel, man, it's fun because uh, yeah. you see some just phenomenal growth. Um, and let's talk also about the the list really quick because you know that reminds me of just how important that is as well. Um, and this was because just recently we were listening to uh, he's a Brazilian uh, YouTuber as well, and he started this comedy channel um, a long time ago and he grew it to about 3 million people. I mean was doing great. But he was like, you know, I, I did this because I just saw some growth, but I'm not really passionate about comedy. I don't think of myself as a comedian. I like more this business growth strategy, all this kind of stuff. But they said, the publisher came to him and said, you know, we want to do a book deal with you. You got 3 million followers and we're going to do a book deal and you're going to, you know, then there's going to be this and this and this. So they launched a book and guess how many books they sold on their launch week?
1: I have
0: no idea. They sold 50 50 books. 50. That's it. Out of 3 million people that loved this guy, followed him and stuff, 50 books were sold. I mean, it was just a total failure, total flop. But it's because basically the people that were watching him, they just liked this comedy. They don't want his book. They didn't want his advice. None of that stuff. And so... The list is so, so important, and your targeting is so, so important. And some of these metrics, I think, sometimes confuse people. You know, they're like, I got likes, I got followers, I got this. And sometimes with the right list, that's very good. But that doesn't mean anything unless people buy from you. And so that list, I think, is just so important. And there's so many different strategies with joint ventures and referrals and all kinds of other things that I think are so underutilized. And we're going to get into that in a later uh, podcast episode. But just remember that just because you have a follower or you think that somebody might buy from you it doesn't matter you know if they don't then you know you need to look at a different strategy and so um, you know like i said we we hit on the importance kind of of you know the the list and then you know let's talk about the offer too and how that can completely transform um, you know your uh, your business or sales because i you know that leads me into sometimes you can't have the right list but if your offer sucks or it's not it doesn't have enough teeth or it's not well structured enough, you might not make sales. And just changing the offer sometimes can have a dramatic effect. And I'll just uh, lead with one. It was interesting. It was a software company I was working with, and they provided a lead generation software where they installed it on a customer's homepage. And it was kind of one of those uh, decision trees where it's like, you know, do you want uh uh one uh, the veneers? Or are you looking for a cleaning? Are you looking for this? Home builders could do it, saying, you know. I need a roof. I need this. Basically, it would take them through a series of questions and the the local business would then get a lead that was highly targeted and qualified. And so they were having trouble with sales They're offering free trials. But the problem was these people, these bit local business owners, you sign up for a free trial and they didn't know what the heck was going on. They don't know software. They don't know how to install it on their website. And so it just, it was flopping. They were getting in front of the people, but it wasn't converting. And so what we did is said, let's change the offer and so what we did is we said look one of the business owners and said we're going to install this software on your website you don't have to do a thing uh, we can do it for you unless you have a web person all you have to do is install the script we're going to build out the decision tree that way you don't have to do anything what would you like you know in your decision tree when you get a lead you know what are you looking for and on top of that we're going to let you try it for 30 days for free to see the quality of the leads coming in, and only after that thirty days will we charge you the two ninety seven a month, I think it was. And so, most business owners after that were like, "Oh yeah, heck yeah!" And so, and it ended up taking off and did really well because once the the business owners saw that, man, I'm getting this better lead. Uh, you know, these people, I, I'm getting a lot more leads now. There, they weren't going to shut that off, and they knew that they had the opportunity to if they didn't want to. But it's just one example of how. You know, an offer can completely transform, even if you you know you have the right list. If you don't got the right offer, uh, it's going to underperform. And I think what we were talking yesterday. Do you have an, a couple examples too of um, you know, either Nightingale or people you've worked with that had a, an offer change?
1: Well, certainly at Nightingale we've had several offer changes. Uh, you know, Nightingale launched in 1961 um, and believe it or not, they did mail order right out of the box. Uh, um, but, and that was, uh, selling the strangest secret, uh, as a 40, as a 45 record. And, uh, if you've never listened to the strangest secret, you know, go, go look on YouTube. You can listen to it for free, um, or go to nightingale.com. Um, but, um, you know, it, Nightingale got into distributorships, they ran that for a while, and they were always a company that, were, that was challenged. Um, and then in the late 70s, they, they, um, Lloyd Conant, who was just a brilliant marketer, he was such a smart man, um, and he had hired a really good team around him. Um, they decided to really focus on that offer and list alignment. And it was the two, you know, it was the two uh, coupled. So they went directly to I think one or two key publications that they f- felt were the right the right match for their product, and they they did a direct mail piece to. Um, Uh, to the buyers, some of the buyers, a segment of the buyers. And I think at the time it was probably like 30,000 people, which, you know, that's actually a pretty significant amount, but in the late seventies, postage wasn't so high and it was affordable for them. But what they did was they made their offer a free trial offer. And it's what, uh, you know, the old school marketers call the puppy dog clothes and the puppy dog clothes is, you know, you got a mom and a dad and a kid walking by a pet shop and, and, and the kid wants a dog and convinces him to go in and, the, and the store owner says, well, why don't you just take this puppy home with you for a few days? You know, no obligation. If you don't, you know, if you don't want to keep it, you just bring him back. And of course, once you get a cute puppy home that the Child loves you. There's no way you're gonna take the puppy back. So, and it's the it's it was the same concept. The free trial was: we'll send you this this title, Um, and it was at the time it was "Lead the Field" um, by Earl Nightingale, and uh, you you, no cost to you whatsoever. It'll show up as as a cassette package. Um, and you listen to the whole thing, and after 30 days, in 30 days, if you don't like it, just simply return it to us. Now, one of the hooks, of course, was they had to pay the postage to return. They had to go to the post office, and they had to return it, so they did have to go through a little bit of effort, but still, you know, they didn't pay much to do that, but that free trial offer Launched Nightingale. It completely, I mean, Nightingale started skyrocketing from that point on because the response was so huge. The conversion was so high. And um, that's really what grew Nightingale into, you know, such a big publisher that dominated through the 80s and the 90s and, you know, into the 2000s um you know it was the dominant um personal and professional development publishing company out there and it did it on the strength of that free trial offer um so you know that's that's one good example and then we shifted again a little later where we did um a free a free just a free cd where we just would we would put that in the mail or actually it was a free cassette we would mail a free cassette to people and that also that was really good to our customers um, and that was for a subscription program. And the nice thing about the subscription was, uh, unlike a continuity program, I'm a big I'm a big fan of subscription over continuity, particularly subscription that auto renews, because you know you get a you get a year's worth of, of, of funds right up front, and you know uh, continuity tends to be you know cancel anytime. And we, I remember, we hired a marketer that was in charge of one of our uh, subscriptions, and he switched over to continuity, and it just crashed the whole program. Um, but uh, but that there's a lot of strength to sending that free that free uh, free cassette out, and, you know, became a free CD, and ultimately now on the internet, it's a free whatever you want to do. So did you
0: know, those did, are did people at the time? I mean, think you guys like were crazy because back then, I mean, the fixed costs that you guys had to produce the, the, the cassettes and the programs and send it out. I mean, there had to have been some people saying, this isn't going to work. It's going to bankrupt their business. People are going to send it back. Um, You know, where did did people think you guys were nuts? Well,
1: uh, competitors did, but Lloyd was a smart guy. You know, he says, okay, I'm going to spend, I'm going to send 30,000 people and I'm going to step back and see what happens. We're going to call them. We're going to make, we're going to form relationships with these people. And, um, and yeah, we actually lost money on every order. Um, um, but Lloyd, Lloyd was a smart guy because he quickly started, I mean, by that time, Lead the field was the first program, but he had brought in several other authors. Earl Nightingale was the original author and they stuck with him for a long, long time. But when uh, when Lloyd decided to go into mail order, he also decided to expand. So he he signed up several other authors and so that he could create that back end because he had a handful of customers. And, you know, we needed stuff to resell them. And so. Yeah, it it, it was it was the safeguard. It was the secret that nobody knew is that, you know, you lose money on on every customer. But if you wait six months, you'll start earning money. And as you and those customers that buy uh, informational products that help them become more successful It's just something they continue to do. I mean, we had customers that were customers for years and years and years and years. You know, they kept buying that. And I'm, gosh, I'm a good example because, you know, I was lucky. I I worked for the company, but I listened to so many of those programs and I listened because they helped me. They helped me become a better marketer, a better manager, a better person. You know, I just learned so many skills out of that type of information. And so the secret that other companies, you know, these guys are idiots, you know, you know, you're going to lose money and people copied us and they didn't have the patience to wait out the six months. So yeah, it was a, it was a interesting.
0: Which touches on another interesting aspect of great marketing and advertising is knowing your numbers. I mean, we're, we're both, you know, big in the into the numbers and whatnot. Like you said, other people tried to, to copy you, but they didn't know that it was going to take six months and so you guys were able to eat that cost, knowing that you know it's going to pay off on the lifetime value of the customer. But most people probably, my guess is, didn't have that that tracking, that uh, the data and whatnot. And you know, especially in today's world, it's much easier to to track than you know it was back then. I'm sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, numbers are huge, and that should be you know part of. You know every marketing strategy, every campaign, and whatnot, and like you said, I, it can it can literally build it can make you or break you. And in your case, it made you.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know that's one of the things when I do consulting, uh, particularly for startups, um, I always tell them to run a performer first. You know. It, as, find out what it's going to cost to host your website, and to you know, and to purchase your products, and find out the cost of the ads, and run the numbers before you launch the business. You know, it doesn't take that long to think through, and if it, you know, and I actually provided them with a template of things that they already need, you know, so that they couldn't think of it. You know, I've got enough experience to know what these costs are, so I would give them a template. and I'd say, okay, fill all this in, and if I'm missing something, just add it. But run the numbers before so that you know what you're getting into, because so many people, they don't understand the fixed overhead that they have to cover when they launch a business. And you you are exactly right. There's to me the numbers are everything. I was such a terrible math student um, going through school. Um, but when I got into marketing, numbers were everything. I was fascinated. I was fixated with the numbers. It was, uh, it was just, it was, it, it, I was just enamored by tracking everything and, and watching, you know, the performance of a, of a promotion uh, unfold. And that, that just taught me the importance of projections, um, you know, and tracking. And so, yeah, run, pay attention to the numbers you know, always right yeah. up front, do it,
0: lay it out. Yeah. yeah. And it's some future episodes. I'll, you know, we'll dive into specific ways you can actually do that. Now I'll share some software that I use and, and, you know, it, it takes a little bit of time to get it set up, but it's well worth um, that time. But speaking of numbers, let's kind of move into the next, the, the third leg um, of something that can increase your numbers a lot, conversion sales, um, basically everything in the campaign—that's and that's copywriting, copywriting slash sales process. Um, I say that because you know, like I said, there's some products that require a longer sales process and whatnot. But basically the same thing. Um, so let's talk about copy and the the importance of it. And you know, I'll just say that yeah, I mean, certain you know sales pages. I mean, you can have the exact same product, you switch the sales page, the sales letter, and you can see a completely different outcome. And I think the, the big problem that a lot of people have that I run into in you as well. in in our consulting is they don't even know what good copy it is. And so they hire a copywriter and they don't know if, you know, what credentials they have. And even if they're a good copywriter, they can write something and they have no clue whether it's good or not. And so they paste it up there and they say, Oh, well, you know, this didn't work and it's because they can't really identify what's good and what's not. And so I think the, the, I think you should actually learn to, to write copy if you are a business owner. but if you're not going to write all the copy yourself, study copywriting, study the greats, study you know even what's working now. Um, and then you know talk about a little bit of the importance of that in, in Nightingale too because I mean you guys ran thousands and thousands of products, sales letters, headlines, all that kind of stuff. Um, is there any case study that stood out as like a big shift when you change the copy?
1: Well, again, because we tested so much, um, you know, we always we always had variations of copy. But when I first started in the marketing department, you know, we we hired real high end copywriters, um, and um, I was really lucky. And also, I, I I got into marketing because I guess I had just a a passion for headlines. Really, it was headlines more than anything. So I, when I started the company, I started in tape duplication. Uh, manufacturing. Um, And, um, and then, but I got uh, uh, pretty shortly after that, I got into the, and the publishing department where, you know, I actually worked on the scripts and worked with the authors to develop the content. And so we had to work with our copywriters because we understood what the content was. We would, we would give the copywriter the scripts of the program, but we would come in and sit down. We'd always have a creative session around a launch session around a new product. And that would involve the, uh, the, the 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 publisher the the um, uh, which was my role you know working in publishing and then the copywriter and the designer and it, so many of the headlines I hated I just thought you know so I started writing my own headlines and I would show up with my own headline and um, a, and so I had a I, I just had this passion for headlines at first. And, um, and they ultimately would use one of my headlines. I'd come in with 10 of them, you know, whether it was through just like, geez, here goes Gary again. I don't know why they took it. But, you know, many of those, certainly many of those products work. But, you know, it taught me the importance of headlines, because ultimately, we just would do simple tests of headline tests, head, head to head. Um, but working with the that, that department and watching the process that the copywriter, I worked with one of the copywriters at Nightingale, and he would just go through the entire script and highlight sections that he thought would be great would make great copy and he was so good at it it's like you know you can get great from the products we sold you know you would the copy would almost write itself if you could just go through and edit and and pull out you know the best of the best and that's how he would do the job and i learned so much from that process and how important it is is to do a deep dive into the content as a matter of fact you know When you're selling an intangible like we sold, you know, a CD is, you know, that doesn't represent what you're really selling. That's a round disc or, you know, a digital download. You know, it's a it's a computer file. You're selling an intangible. You're selling something you can't see or touch. You know, if you're selling a car, you know, you can look at it or a dress or a suit. You know, you can look at it. Oh, I want that. But when you're selling an intangible copy is king. You know, it is it is, you're not going to sell the product if you don't have convincing copy. And so understanding how to develop that copy and really a part, a big part of the reason I was so fortunate to be successful in marketing was because I was passionate about the product. And I think that's something, you know, going back to the beginning, you mentioned mindset, you know, how how, um, people wanted to understand the mindset, you know, uh, and I think that it's really important that a new entrepreneur or somebody that you know even an older business, if you're not passionate about your product, it's just going to make it that much more difficult to to succeed. Uh, but when you are passionate, you know you'll, you'll you'll think of ways you'll really think about that copy you'll think about well, you know I'm passionate about it because, You know, I see this and this and this. Well, draw on that. You know, you bring that into your copy. Just share why you're passionate about something. And sometimes that's all it takes. so, you know, again, copy is king. And again, all, all I can say about copy is test, you know, test, 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 because you don't, you know, you talked earlier about, you know, some people are stubborn. They want to be the king. You know, they want to be the, the one that wins the day. But there's an old marketing adage and, and you know, there's would you rather be right or would you rather be profitable <laughs> and uh, you know, settle for profitable, be humble and test and, you know, don't get too married to what you came up with.
0: Well, and and speaking of testing, it's interesting just how the psychology of emotions come into play, especially when selling, you know, intangibles or even tangibles too, and how just changing certain wording and framing it in a different way can completely change how people think about you and your product. I remember I read a study one time; they were talking about when they were trying to pass the. Uh, estate tax. And they would go to people and say, you know, do you think wealthy people should have to pay, you know, half their income or whatever the rate was when they pass away? And these people said, oh, yeah, you know, they're rich. They're they got a lot of money. Of course, yeah, tax their estate. And then they went back and they said, well, they changed the name to the death tax. They said, well, do you think that when you die, you have you should, you know, give up part of your wealth? You know, you pay taxes your whole life. And when you die, should you have to as well? And they said, No, 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 that's not fair. I mean, when you die, you shouldn't have to pay taxes. I mean, that's, that. yeah, it was really interesting. The same people changing the mindset just from the fact that like they think about themselves when they die, should I have to give up, you know, half my wealth, you know, if I work hard and I pay taxes my whole life. And so it was the same concept, but they changed the psychology and the motions around that. And it completely changed people's perception of, you know, this bill that they were trying to get through. And so, you know, one of the things I always try and do is look at the deep psychology of why people really want to buy and then try and overcome those objections or why they can't buy as well. And I mean, you were talking about, um, you know, some of these high ticket products and stuff. And a lot of people, you know, they could convince the buyer, say me, you know, like, I'm really excited. I want to do this. But deep down, if you're selling something over two, three, four thousand dollars, that man is if he's married, he's going to have to convince his wife, too. And so you need to hit on those points as well. And so whatever you're selling, you got to look at the the deep underlying reasons as to why people actually wanna buy. There's, you know, sometimes people say one thing, but deep down, you know, they're feeling something different. And so I always try and target, you know, emotions and really, you know, get that because emotions, you know, the, that's what moves people to buy and you can then support the the logic and the reasoning, um, you know, with lot, or I guess you support it with the logic. Um, But, yeah, and so we'll, again, in the future, dive into, um, you know, one of those episodes. But, you know, one of the things I love to do and anyone – go ahead.
1: uh, No, go ahead and finish up. I'll come back.
0: Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, one of the things that I think anyone can do right now as well, I mean, just go through – type in on Google, you know, swipe file, old, you know, sales letters, and just start reading those. I mean, when I'm in the jacuzzi, I have a whole – I don't know where it is. It's in my office, but I mean, I got a this thick of just old sales letters and headlines and all that kind of stuff. And just read the winning campaigns, and you will, it, you, your your mind will start thinking about your own business and how you can incorporate it into that. And so, I think that's one of the easiest things you can do. It's free; doesn't require any you know any money. Just go online, type in you know top performing sales letters of all time, best headlines, whatever it is. And I think you'll see a dramatic increase in your copy, or at least you'll be able to spot where the gaps are in your copy as well.
1: Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, one of the thing I was going to say is that if you're fortunate enough to have a sales, a sales rep, or um, even if it's a competitor's rep, if there's a way you can expose yourself to that pitch, because I went through a, a period where I had all the marketers sit in and take telemarketing calls. We it, it seems to be a lost art, actually, because we had a whole tele, inbound telemarketing department where we encouraged customers to call and ask questions. You know, if you've got a question about this program, don't hesitate. Gave them a toll-free number. And that gave us an opportunity. Um, our reps were trained, you know. I mean, they, they were... Pa- we tried to only keep people, particularly in the sales department, that were very passionate about the products. And... Uh, um, so, when you sat in and listened to those sales reps, you would see how they, the words they used to impact the, the buyer. To, so, they would call in to, you know, my CD's broken. Can you send me a new one? Of course. And, hey, did you hear about this new program? So, it was really a great up, uh, upbound, uh, uh, I mean, upsell opportunity for us. And so, there was a period where I had the marketer said, sit in and take those customer service calls and tried it we gave them a script but they had the they ha- they had the ability to go off the script they didn't it was just a guideline for them but that experience for everybody was very helpful in teaching them you know just certain angles of copy that we knew we could apply to the written word when we sent out promotions and you know and again i think uh, i think sales is a lost art because again sales gives you an opportunity to form a relationship with a, with a customer and you become, you know, we would have customers order every single month just so they could talk to their favorite, favorite sales rep. And, uh, you know, I think that every business owner, um, anybody that works in business should become a master at sales, because I don't care if you're selling your own ideas to somebody else, you know, somebody in the boardroom, your board of directors, uh, even your subordinates. Sales is a critically important part of of running a business and it, it's so easily, um, um, uh, impacts and helps with, with copywriting, you know, just that process of learning how to sell, learning how to articulate the benefits of what you're offering translate very easily into copy.
0: Yep. We'll do a, a future episode specifically on that as well. Um, but with that said, I think, you know, just want to, you know, kind of do a recap here um, about the, like we said, the the three big things, you know, that I think anyone can focus on, you know, in their business right now. If you're not seeing the, the, the results you want are, you know, go back and kind of look at your offer, you know, is it, does it have, a, is it compelling? Is there guarantees? Does it give people a, a big enough reason to say, you know, yes, I want to be a part of this? And then you know, look at like your list. You know, are you targeting the right people? And I'm not, you know, talking just about a Facebook audience. You know, you're interested in the Facebook interests and 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 whatnot. Really trying to get deep into who that is, because most likely you, you identify. There's a lot of other avenues that you can go down to target the right people, and it's not just Facebook, YouTube, or TikTok. There's a lot of other strategies, and we'll be sharing that in the future episodes. And then you know, your copy as well. Go back and look. And you know, are you even running multiple you know variations of, of of copy? And if not, definitely implement that you know as fast as you can, and then just start studying great copy as well. And then, like we said, you, you let the numbers do the talking. And you know, if you don't have any numbers or basically software tracking anything, uh, we'll be talking about that in future episodes as well. Um, but with that saying. Um, this has been fun, Gary. This is a first great episode. Do you want to add any more comments?
1: Yeah, I do. You know, just uh, as um, as Jared mentioned, you know, you've got three legs of the marketing stool, and if you don't put equal emphasis on all of them, it's only three legs. You know, you you slack off on one that that's gonna that's gonna tip over you're going to fall on your ass so it's very important that you uh, you pay attention to the all three of them and give them equal weight and equal importance because without you know understanding your list your your you know your product or offer you you just you're going to be in trouble be in trouble
0: yeah so and with that said the next three episodes we're going to dive into each one of these a little more in depth so if you're interested hit the the subscribe pl- place wherever you listen to your podcasts And uh, thanks for listening, everyone.